What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jay Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Rance, Joe Johnson's Jaw Raps, of course. We've got Jays we got him for days. Josh, I'm going to ask you how you're doing, but then you have to make it quick because we have a guest. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm excited to talk to our, I think this is our first three-time guest. Is that true? I think that's right. Has it only been three? There's also part of me that thinks it's, <laughs> it's that he's four. already he's yeah. already crossed that threshold and it might be four. But it's Lucas Harkins at Hardwired Sports. He checked college basketball. Lucas, how you doing, buddy? It's at least three Zoom Zoom guest appearances. We've had a couple in person, too. Thanks for having yeah. me. Doing good. I, I, there, there had to have been like a basement of Fairbanks. Yep. Butler pod at some point, at least one. Um, you're you're up there on the, the uh, also up there on our return guest list is Brendan Marks. That's that's the he's your kind. That's kind of your competition. It's right. great because now we have a now we have a working relationship with a guy who covers both Duke and UNC for the Athletic. So it kind of it's kind of a nice nice place to be in. But um, certainly nobody stacking up uh, stacking up to Lucas. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time um, to admittedly help us fill fill content between now and when we can reasonably start talking about the next yeah. season in a very specific like preview type uh, type setting. I know you know everything about previewing college basketball conferences to to just incredible detail, and so uh, we'll spare you talking about the America East because I've heard you've been doing a lot of a lot of time. Uh, with that conference and a couple others but um, yeah thank you for for coming Um, we want to start in the place that um, that that originally connected us all Uh, and that's that's with the Butler Bulldogs Um, when we we chat with you we can't not we can't not talk about the dogs Uh, an offseason that probably probably in a lot of ways was a, a really important offseason, even before Thad Mata was hired, even before Laval Jordan was fired, uh, because when you kind of looked at the future, it was okay. What's where are we kind of going from here? Right, the the non Laval prospects are kind of uh, are officially on their way out, and and it's really everything about the program is has Laval Jordan's footprint on it, and now it's one of the louder off seasons that a college basketball program has had um, in the context of the program kind of needing a direction to go, how big was this off season for Butler? And then we can kind of get into details. Yeah. I mean, I think it was huge. I mean, I think to your point, regardless of who was coaching this year, it was going to be a big off season. Um, particularly because you had you, there, there's signs of young stars on the roster. I mean, Simas Lukosius looked good last year. Jaden Taylor looked good. Chuck Harris looked good. All those guys had, had games, at least a single game or multiple games where they looked like they had um, significant potential moving forward and they need to have supplemental pieces around them, especially with losing a huge senior class, which obviously struggles for the last two years. Um, and I think part of that is also needing a fan base that needs to, that need to be reinvigorated. And I think that's where that mana comes in. Um, part of my skepticism with, with fire and Laval at all was whether or not they could get a splash higher to follow. And that is what was one of the, one of the shortlist guys that would qualify as that. 
Um, he's got the fan base going. Obviously, I think we've had a, they had a lot of momentum um, with the transfer portal. Picking up a Lee Lee really early um, helps. That got the four position pretty much out of the way, and then they could really focus on the five, um, which they did great with Manny Bates and Dale Thomas. Uh, and then to finish it out with a guy who's another all-conference defender um, and Eric Hunter. I mean, you bring in three really – four really good defenders in the transfer portal, one guy who was all, all defensive in one of the better defensive conferences in America um, to fill out the point guard position. The transfers, I think, are really impact guys. Probably three of them start. Um, and with all those new pieces, it just felt like the right time, too. They're going to spend the next uh, week and a half in Italy and Greece. They left today. Uh, they're going to get four games against pros over there. Um, two in Italy and two in Greece. Uh, good chance the team to get some the camaraderie together and they got some extra practices that they otherwise wouldn't have had. I mean, the timing feels right for this offseason um, to have a potential bounce back year in content for NCAA tournament. You mentioned the overseas trip. Obviously, plenty of teams are embarking on that here right before the season starts and they kind of really get into the swing of building, you know, the, the practices right before the season, getting ready for those exhibition games. As somebody who is trying to cover you know so much and paying attention to everything that's happening how much stock do you put in a preseason tour do you and what does it sort of mean to you from an an analysis perspective is it just it's good to write play some pros get a little bit of a different experience the extra practices the time together is invaluable but I don't really take anything away from what I see on the floor or do you feel like there's a lot you can take away from what you see on the floor too you know, I think it's tough because it depends what you're seeing. Um, so, like, Butler's not going to stream any of its games. So, we'll get, like, highlight tapes and stuff. Um, and there are, all, there are always going to be players on every team in the country who are better in highlight tapes than they are in game film. Mm. Uh, it's just the nature of their styles. Um, and, and it's tough to really get any sort of conclusions from that. Uh, and I think it's also too early to really draw conclusions, especially in a small sample size that's probably only going to be four or five games. Um, so I would say the, the bigger part of an off season trip really is just that building camaraderie, spending time with each other in a, in a, in a foreign country. Um, cause it's a lot of time together. It's for, especially for a group that doesn't really get that much time together, um, before official practices start and that kind of stuff. I think that that experience, um, is significant. And I think it also helps in that players look forward to these trips a lot. I mean, Eric Hunter Jr. cited going on a foreign trip this season. as one of the reasons why he's heading to Butler. Um, for his final year because he was unable to do that um, at Peru. COVID wiped away one of their chances to do so. Um, so I think I don't really take much away from what's played or what a box score looks like or that kind of stuff. Coaches, especially new coaches um, who haven't coached their rosters yet, are going to be very experimental with their rotations, their lineups, trying to figure out who really plays well with who. Uh, especially new coaches haven't put that much into their playbooks yet either. Um they haven't really had a chance to put in their styles. So it's, I don't think I'd really gain, take much away from what's actually happening on the court, but what happens off the court, I think is significant um, and a value. What's uh, a couple more on, on Butler and then we'll get kind of elsewhere in Indiana and then we'll, we'll move over to the, the entire college basketball landscape. But there's a lot of, a lot of things have happened this off season that you can point to, to say, this is why Butler could be different this year from really big things to, to smaller things. Um, what's, what's the most important, I, I suppose it all is a trickle down effect from, from Thad Mata being 
being hired. But what's one of the things you think might not be getting as much attention in terms of the thing that might dictate Butler's success this year? Well, I think Eric Hunter Jr. has received a lot of attention because he's an Indiana guy, went to Purdue, comes back to to closer to home and be a Butler. I think he's getting the amount of attention he deserves. I think he's a really good basketball player, elite defender, shot the ball really well last season. Um, he's going to be the de facto point guard in a backcourt of really two combos with Chuck Harris this year. I think Manny Bates is also receiving a lot of attention, rightfully, great shot blocker, something Butler's probably never had. Um, I think probably the two things that fly under the radar for me um, as Butler's things, I think Alili is really good. Uh, his numbers against high majors or against top 50, top 150 teams in the country last year were really good. Um, I want to say he was at 16 a game against top 150 teams at about 10 or 11 contests. He shoots the ball well. He's 6'8". I think we've seen the last two seasons having really only one go-to option, late shot clock, being Chuck Harris, a 6'2 or 6'3 guard. The options are a little bit limited there. Uh, he's still going to fit that role. But also, when you get late shot clock, the ability to just kind of post up Lee Lee at 6'8". Um, and be able to just kind of take a fadeaway 10 footer. That's a good shot for him. Um, I think as an addition, I think he's a really good player with good size at the four to play offensively. Uh, he can defend the four rebounding. I thought would be a concern with him at the four, but if you add Manny Bates and Jalen Thomas to the five mix, you should rebound well. Um, and Lukosius rebounds well from the three spot. The other thing I think is flown the is Miles Tate's healthy. Uh, like he missed almost, he missed half of last season with the ACL injury that he suffered the year before. Never really seemed to get right. Um, I think the connection between Tate and Harris was excellent as freshman. I think that was a, a big a big reason why Harris was so successful is how well um, he had chemistry with Tate, who started a lot of that season while Aaron Thompson was hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tate's got his quickness back. He shot the ball really well in high school, like really well. Ran off screens. He was a very versatile shooter. Didn't shoot well as a freshman at Butler, but I think the shot's back. I think he can be a, a valuable backup point behind Eric Hunter. Um, which I think is something Butler's been missing is really having depth at the point guard spot. That's mm-hmm. kind of flown under the radar. Moving a little bit south, we also wanted to discuss the strange world we are living in where the Big Ten is presenting Indiana as its high-profile sort of crown jewel, if you will. Sort of two different questions in here. One do you buy this IU hype? Are they really going to be the best team in the Big Ten, as good as people are sort of presenting them to be? And two, what do you just say about the Big Ten in a conference that, whether it's Michigan, it's Michigan State, it's Wisconsin, it's Purdue, all of a sudden it's IU that has risen from a preseason hype perspective to the top of a conference where, I mean, we probably – well, there was okay. So we're talking at least till you know Cody Zeller since that happened. Yeah, I just I think it's just a down year for the league. Uh, at one, I think that's it's, it's going to be a deep league again. I think that's I don't think that's ever going to really be an issue for the Big Ten. They're always going to be deep uh, and have a lot of teams content to enter the tournament. But I'm not sure there's one that really stands out as a top ten team. Uh, and I think that hands, that stands true for Indiana, who's probably going to be the preseason favorite. I would agree. I, I buy some of IU. Um, I think I definitely buy the front court. I think Trish Jackson Davis is pretty clearly fantastic. And race Thompson, I really like um, there. I, I question whether or not there's enough shooting. I still do. Uh, I think that that's there. Miller cop needs to have a good year. 
Um, I think that that's it. And there's a lot of question marks. And they're the freshman, are the freshman ready to contribute? Is Jalen Hood, Shafino, that guy um, on the wing? Is Tamar Bates ready to take a second year step? Um, that's kind of what lingers for me is whether I use one of those top 25 teams or really a top 10 team. I think they're going to be good regardless. Um, but I think there's a little bit there that still needs to question just how good they can be. Um, in a league that has a lot more, a lot of question marks, I think they have some of the fewest still with, with the front court that that's going to be really, really consistent with TJD and, and Ray Thompson. I, I will always hesitate with the whole, and, and to the credit of, of most people, part of the Indiana is going to be good, better this year is, well, the Big Ten is also going to be not as good this year. And there are a lot of Big Ten teams that are not going to be as good as they were last year. But I'll always hesitate in the the conversation of continuity being the biggest reason that a team is going to be better. Um, because, like, Big Ten, I mean, Indiana was okay last year. I still wouldn't. I would still argue that nobody since Tom Green has figured out how to win consistently enough in the big 10. And like, that just kind of, that just kind of matters to me. Like it's, it's, it feels a little, almost a little Northwestern ish from a few years ago when it was like, what man Northwestern is like, they almost made the tournament. You remember this? It, it, was, it was comparing Indiana Northwestern is a major slap in the face to Bloomington fans. That's fine. I mean, what are, what what have what have we done recently in Bloomington? That's all that impressive. The point being that I they made as many NCAA tournaments last year as Northwestern ever has. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but the point being is that that Northwestern team knocked on the door late in the season, and then they brought everybody back, and people were picking them to finish like top six in the Big Ten that year, and then they were just not good. Do I think that will be the way that it happens for Indiana? No. But at the same time, I I don't care how much how how much worse the Big Ten is supposed to be. Going from eight Big Ten wins, eight they go eight and eight and twelve last year, nine and eleven, something nine like 11. that. Nine and eleven with two Big Ten tournament wins. They went eleven and twelve against the league. So so going from eleven and twelve against the league last year to going, I mean, we're talking about. I mean, it's still the Big Ten. You're still going to have to go fourteen and six something like that to win the conference, right? Or or is it just kind of a they're going to beat up on everybody and they're we're not really going to feel like they're that much better. They just have the fewest question marks. Anyways, um as you can tell, I don't have a ton of faith in in the Hoosiers until they until they prove that they have figured out how to win Big 10 games consistently because I would still argue that Mike Woodson hasn't proven that he's figured that out yet. I think they're going to be good. Um, I think they're really rock solid defensively. I think they're really, as I said earlier, they're kind of just consistent three-point shooting away from me feeling like pretty confident about them winning the league. Mm. Uh, but there are other teams there. I mean, Illinois, um, Sky Clark is looking healthy. Uh, is a big addition for them. Michigan State, I think they have issues in the front court. But if Jackson Kohler is ready to go right away, um, that's a huge thing. On the flip side, Purdue's guard play is Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, two freshmen coming in. Uh, are they ready to really take on the reins at the point? David Jenkins probably more of a two. Um, I guess Braden Smith takes the point um, for them to see if that their front court's good. Is their backcourt enough? Um, Michigan's interesting. Iowa's going to score a lot, kind of just what Iowa is. I mean, Chris Murray's probably going to take that leap this year. I mean, Iowa's been really consistently good for a while. Um, 
I think that it's kind of getting lost and some people don't really like Fran McCaffrey, but he's won a lot of games recently. Um, and I think he's got a good core there. Um, Wisconsin loses Johnny Davis, but returns three starters and they're kind of always pretty good regardless. Um, I have concerns about their shooting, but maybe Max Klesman steps into that two guard role um, and shoots it really well next to Chucky. Uh, there's an Ohio state's got young talent too. I mean, the league is full of just kind of teams that could be really good. But I don't. But none of them stand out as like they return a lot from a team that was already really good. Which, which Josh points out, Indiana's continuity is there, but they weren't really good last year. They were good, okay. Mm-hmm. On to before we sort of get into looking at the the country as a whole, shaping up this season, what things are going to look like. Also, wanted to ask, as somebody who follows this sport so closely, what do you feel like? the future of college basketball looks like with conference realignment and so much getting sort of thrown out of whack here recently. And just as a a fan of the sport, as someone who cares about it, where are you about sort of the future and, and what this is going to end up being? You know, it's interesting. This off season has really made me feel like I should have paid more attention to college football the last few years. Uh, Cause I just, I'm a Wisconsin football fan. That's pretty much all I watch is I'll watch the Wisconsin game on Saturday, and that's about it. Uh, so I think that's part of it is I haven't paid enough attention to college football to really realize um, the impact um, that it would have on, on college basketball conferences. And, and part of that's also being a big East basketball fan um, plays into that too. I think it's certainly been interesting, and I'm, I'm intrigued to see what travel patterns come together uh, with the Big Ten and their additions. Uh, yeah, I think I think that the college basketball as a landscape is changing significantly with conference affiliations, but it's not the first time this has happened either. Um, it's the first time we've had this like major cross country alignment, but still, um, the Big East disbanded less than 15 years ago um, into into a smaller group, and that that conference has survived and has looked good. Um, I think there's always going to be changes, and we'll see what actually happens to them when they come to them. Do you? Just generally speaking, how do you feel about the Big Ten thing? I don't – I guess in my head, I still think of it – I've always thought of, like, the Oklahoma City Thunder being in the Northwest Division of the NBA. As, as <laughs> um, I mean, I get why, obviously, with the Seattle move, but it's always kind of gotten in my head that just doesn't make sense. Uh, so their moves don't really make sense to me geographically, but I get – I mean, obviously, it's a huge market to add L.A., uh, to a conference that's now stretches New Jersey to to Southern to Southern California. All right. So as a whole, looking at the whole country first, we've got one team in particular we want to get into in a minute here, but for you at this point, now that rosters are more or less set, who are you looking at as your top five teams, the teams that you feel like are going to be legit national title contenders? Hmm. Uh, so I'll start with Arkansas. I think Arkansas is there. Uh, Nick Smith, Anthony Black are as good a freshman duo as there's going to be in the country, I think. Uh, and that doesn't even account for Jordan Walsh, who's another five-star. Uh, I think Arkansas is really good. They're probably going to be in that mix for me. I think Musk is a great coach. They've got a lot of – it's a lot of new pieces. But if there's anyone I trust with a lot of new pieces, Eric Musselman does a pretty good job with that um, every year. Um it's a year in, year out statement now. Gonzaga's there. They're in the mix every year. Uh, 
Timmy's back, Strother's back. Uh, there's a lot to like there still. Malachi Smith is a good addition to a backcourt that brings in, that returns some pieces that kind of like people maybe have forgot about. Like no one yep. happened to be the biggest sophomore breakout in the country. This right. <laughs> that was a really good recruiting class that didn't get to play all that much last year. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I'm not a huge Hunter Salas guy, but maybe he takes that leap too. But Nolan Hickman might be the might be the biggest sophomore breakout um, in the country, and I think those are two teams. I'm not putting these in order, by the way. Sorry, sure, North sure. Carolina will get to you now. North Carolina, <laughs> um, at North Carolina looks great again. Returns everybody like of major significance. Minor, minus Brady Manic from last year's Final Four team, bringing in Pete Nance as a guy who kind of fills that kind of role, except he's uh, a better defender than Manic was. Um, there's a ton to like there. If the guards build up efficiency, they're they're going to be the preseason number one team in the country. If the guards build up efficiency, they're going to stay there for a while. Um, that's three. Houston is there again. Kelvin Sampson just kind of re- reloads now these days. He's got a five-star coming in to race Walker uh, to fill around good returning guards. They've always won with small ball. Recently up in the front court, they're probably going to do that again. Um, and I, I really like Baylor a lot this year. I think that that's maybe one of the more dark horses over like a Kansas or a Creighton or Kentucky. I really like Baylor. Uh, I've always been an Adam Flagler guy since he put up buckets on Butler and Presbyterian. Yeah. Um, LJ Cryer is a good returner. I think it, they're going to have a lot there. Obviously, Keontae George might be the most talented freshman scorer in the country. Uh, and I'm not even sure that's it. Probably. I think he is going to be the most talented freshman scorer in the country. Uh, bringing in a couple transfers and bridges and loaner. I really like where they're at. Um, and we've seen Scott Drew just win for the last two or three years, really, really at a high level. Compare and contrast UNC 2022 with UCLA 2021. And why, and if you are higher on North Carolina than you were UCLA, yeah. what, what's the, what's the differences, the similarities do they fill the same spot in your head? Um, what uh, c- kind of talk to me about those two about those two teams? Because the 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 very you know bare bones college basketball reference page with those two teams, um, it's it's at least similar from a from a seeding perspective. From a I mean it's a little different, granted, um, but from a from a hot at the end of the year. Um, bringing a lot of guys back. Their final four run wasn't really indicative of the team they were the whole year. Just talk to me about those two teams. Yeah, I would say I wasn't super confident in UCLA coming into last year, and I do feel better um, about North Carolina this year. And I think that some of that, some of that comes down to the run um, to me and the end of the season. So I think North Carolina deserved an NCAA tournament did last season. Like they, they were an eight seed, they belonged, and they made that clear. Their run was actually pretty, pretty solid. They blew the doors off of Marquette. They were dominating Baylor for most of that game. Yep. Um, and it's a really good team. They beat a Baylor team. They beat a one seed, and over time, doesn't matter if they were winning by twenty at one point or not. They still won. That's an impressive victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, UCLA was a good win. They destroyed St. Peter's, and they beat a really good Duke team before losing close um, to Kansas. U- UCLA. Lost its last four games heading into the incident with tournament. Was twelve was an eleven seed that almost lost yep. the four. Um, 
I felt a little bit. They, almost, they, they beat Michigan that. State. Josh isn't allowed to talk about that. That about that game particularly. That's been, Michigan State. He's just salty about it. That's the, one of my points from the very beginning about UCLA. Is right. They were five minutes or so from not even getting the actual. But they won the, actual, the game. Yeah, but they won the game. Won, for sure. But I think sure. as, as we look into projecting this season, Armando Baycott is better than anyone UCLA brought back. I think he, he's a proven ACC Player of the Year type guy. Um, and I think there's more pieces that could break out on this team um, than UCLA had. Like if one of RJ Davis or, or Caleb Love gets like significantly more efficient, that changes things for them. Uh, Puff Johnson could take a big jump in more roles as a shooter. He played really well um, down the stretch of last year. And I think that Brady Manic is, I mean, Brady Manic was good last year. Pete Nancy's like, we talked, but we talked about Northwestern a little bit earlier as kind of being that overlooked team in the Big East and the Big Ten sometimes. Pete Nance was really good last year, um, and I think that it, Brady Maddox a big loss, but they got a guy that fills those shoes pretty darn well. What happens, and what is their ceiling if you get basically the same thing from those guards you just mentioned? Because one of the things Josh and I talked about throughout the, the NCAA tournament is. Yeah, it's terrific when Caleb Love goes off, but also Caleb Love, like you mentioned, still not efficient. It's still not always a you know smoothly running offense. If those guys are just kind of what they were at the end of last season, Caleb Love can win you a game and be the best player on the floor. He can also go six of 24. Do you think they can win a national championship if it's basically Nance replacing Manic, Baycott being a national player of the year contender and there isn't anybody who takes that next step and really goes to the next level like you were just talking about. I mean, I don't know if that's even, I don't know if that's really even going to happen. Like, I think it's hard. Like, Caleb Love and and RJ Davis, RJ Davis was actually pretty efficient last year. Um, And and some might even say he was better than Caleb Love. Yeah, um, it's more about, the efficiency thing is more about Caleb Love. Yeah, yeah, but like, they're taking a sophomore to junior step. Johnson's coming into another year. Like I, I think it's just unlikely for them not to take another, not, at least another leap in some capacity, whether it's in the scoring column or in the efficiency column is a different question. I would assume more in the efficiency column. Uh, but I think that they're, I think that with normal progression, no one takes like a big jump, but like with normal progression, yeah, I think they can contend for the national title. We'll see. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, there is, there certainly seems to be a level of, is that, is it Armando? Like, what do you think is the, because people were more divided on UCLA than people are divided on UNC. I feel like it's a pretty universal thing that UNC and even the people who don't have them first have them like top three. And there were people who either had UC, you know, UCLA range from as far as from, you know, as high as one to the other two people in this Zoom call, raising their hands, you know, down to 11, 15 area. Um, is it, is it just, is it because it's UNC? Is it because it's Armando Baycott? Um, why do you think, because, right, I think it's fair. I think at the end of last year, people like UNC was clearly the foundation of a better team than UCLA was at the end of that final four run. But at the same time, I don't think it's as different as kind of the consensus on UNC this year would suggest. I don't think it's really UNC versus UCLA. I think UNC was just better last year than UCLA was two years ago. Uh, I think they were just a better team that returns more talent. 
Sure. Okay. But, uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, uh, but uh, the bullet points are UNC was a was a uninspiring ACC team who couldn't beat anybody good for the first half of the year. That's where I wanted to push back on that. Yeah. And then they had a guy who you know emerged as one of the best players in the country for the last two months, and then they went to the Final Four. The bullet points are very similar. I don't know. I mean, North Carolina lost three games after January 23rd mm-hmm. until the Final Four. Like, the ACC wasn't very good, but they didn't lose to anyone really bad except for the pit game. Like, they, they beat everybody except Duke, Virginia Tech, and Kansas for two and a half months. Like, they played really well. Um, and I'm actually curious what the, what the bar target ranking is from January 23rd to the end of the season. My guess is pretty darn high. Yeah, and that's where it is a little bit it, – it, it's just bizarre because they were so bad and then so good, and you can just divide it right down the middle like that. It's – well, I'll say more about you. They, they were 11th in the country from mid-January on. Yeah, okay. Inefficiency. And I'm kind of surprised it's even that low, but I'll, I'll save more of my thoughts for our ACC preview. Impact, impact transfers. Of course, we know some of the bigger names, whether it's the biggest names that are changing teams or who do you, do you feel like when we get to an NCAA tournament or we get into February, Jan, you know, January, February, the back end of conference play, we're going to be talking about as the most impactful, most important transfers that change teams this offseason. Yeah, I think one of the ones I look at is, is Baylor Shireman because I think it's something to be said for just that missing piece uh, for a potentially really good team. Creighton obviously brings back a lot uh, and a lot of their hype for a potential top ten team uh, resides on a lot of sophomore, a lot of freshman to sophomore jumps. Uh, the thing that was so impressive about them last year is they just kind of came out of nowhere to be awesome defensively. Ryan Kalkbrenner might be the most important player to his team of anybody in the country. Um, his impact numbers are off the charts and if the rest of the group um, catches up to catches up in that kind of jump this year, they'll be really good. The, the really only flaw in their returning group is three-point shooting. Uh, Ryan Which Hawkins, is ironic. <laughs> I, it's extremely ironic with, with Creighton, but like Alex O'Connell and Ryan Hawkins were their two best shooters last year, both by volume and percentage. Um, and Baylor Scheinman did a ton for South Dakota State. Like, he was a major playmaker, a major scorer from everyone on the floor. Um, but as he fits in with Creighton, he's a knockdown shooter. Um, absolutely knockdown. One of the best shooters in the country. Um, joins a team that needed exactly that. Um, and I think that, that that'll, that'll be kind of be that the nudge that they needed to really take that, that next step. Um, kind of going back to the Big Ten a bit, uh, I think Illinois has a good – um, group coming in, Terrence Shan's a really good addition. Matthew Meyer's a good addition to a group that kind of needs to focus on, you know, Sky Clark coming in as a freshman. Does RJ Melendez, Luke Goody take that second step um, as sophomores? They'll be important there. Um, and Michigan is another team that I think kind of has an under-the-radar transfer, transfer in Joey Baker if he's able to help on the perimeter um, to kind of space the floor along with Jed Howard uh, for Hunter Dickinson. Those are a couple of big ones. I, in terms of transfer classes overall, um, Arkansas's transfer class is always great. UConn has a good transfer class coming in. Um, we talked about them already earlier, but I think Butler's transfer class is significant um, in terms of filling some big needs. I think Florida 
maybe has a really under the radar uh, addition. I know that a lot of people really like Will Richard um, as a huge addition for them. Um, but Kyle Lofton, giving Colin Castleton a legit pick and roll guard to pair together could make them really good um, for an analytically focused Todd Golden team. Um, I think that's going to be a really good group to work with too. Before we get off transfers, one important question. St. John's Andre Corbello, yay or nay? Um, it's not gotta really, be nay. It's gotta be nay. It's not really just Corbello. I think that their, their transfer class is fascinating. Um, from a sheer talent perspective, it's really good. Um, I think Corbello is a talented player. I think that David Jones is a talented player. Um, that's now three guys that you're probably going to start that shoot sub 30% from three. Um, that's a tad concerning. I would agree. Not to mention the guy who considers ball control, ball security, a, you know, mere suggestion. (laughs) I I, I think that it's a talented group that if it comes together, I think can be very interesting. They're going to have really good playmaking out of that position. Curbelo has his turnover roles, but he also has some um, pretty phenomenal playmaking ability when he's on. Uh, But I think that that can be an interesting group. Uh, and it's probably one of those that, that might contend for instance, it turn a bit out of the big East if things, if things come together. I know I've really missed on a lot of like the big transfer additions when I was talking about transfer, but part of it comes down to just, uh, the transfer class as a whole. I look at more than just individual players oftentimes, uh, which is just how much can they really take a jump in your, in your, in last year to this year, uh, with a lot of those teams that really struggled last year or lost a lot of talent too. Is there any transfer that you think we look back at the end of the year and it's like, oh yeah, that team won the national championship because they got that transfer or are the most player, the most important players in college basketball this year are going to be guys that are either entering college basketball for, you know, a team or, a, or, you know, a guy that was, that is wearing the same Jersey that it was last year. Does anybody get to that level in terms of importance? Uh, P Nance, maybe. Um, I think North Carolina needed a guy like him, um, post Manic. He could be that kind of guy. Um, at the top, I could see that. Um, I don't really buy it. I don't, maybe it's just because it's Creighton, like, and it's not really one of the blue blood names or something that we're used to talking about as a championship contender. It just doesn't quite feel, um, like Baylor Shireman can be that, but I think he's a really good addition for a really great team up at the top. Um, yeah, I think it's probably just maybe Kevin McCuller going from Texas Tech to Kansas, uh, is in that kind of mix as well. But I think the real like big time addition to a team that needed that piece um, is Pete Nance going to North Carolina. This is where we give you an opportunity to share your incredible college basketball knowledge players. You're excited about doesn't have to be big names, but just players across the country. I always love hearing you talk about guys that people should be paying attention to that are going to be really fun to watch that are going to become maybe, you know, that household name in March because they put up 30 points on a three-seat or something or make the Sweet 16 as a Cinderella. Nobody's ever heard of this player before, but you have. <laughs> um, well, I think Dylan Penn is fantastic. Um, he's a two-time All-A-Sun all player for Bellman. He was the, uh, the A-Sun tournament MVP last year. Couldn't make the NCAA tournament because Bellman's in transition rules. Uh, he transferred to Vermont to be with his Evansville buddy, Robin Duncan, as the Duncan family just continues to deliver to Vermont basketball. 
Uh, Vermont's won six straight America East Player of the Years, won six straight America East titles. I think Dylan Penn's probably going to be the next guy uh, that steps into a star role for them. And he is wildly unorthodox. It's incredible. Post-up guard, funky, YMCA-type, just dominant game. Put up 16 a game last year, Bill, and then... Little uh, Rosie Jones vibes. Yeah, he he's he's phenomenal. Um, I think he'll fit really well there, especially if they get um, some good shooting productions from like Aaron Deloney stepping, stepping into a bigger role. Can't help, healthy Cam Gibson um, will help out there too. Uh, I think he's going to be really fun. I think Colby Jones is probably one of the guys in the Big East I'm really looking forward to see. Uh, I know there's a lot said about about Jack Nunji coming back for Xavier, but I think Colby Jones, uh, he played super well in the NIT last year, NIT MVP. Um, he's probably one of the guys I look to to take another leap there. Um, I don't know if I can really single out anyone on Cal Baptist that I'm excited about, but like that, what they did this off season was just so fascinating to build around their star. Uh, Taron Armstrong's coming into his sophomore year. He might be the best passer in college basketball. I mean, he's electric, live passes everywhere, bounce pass, swing pass. He's got it all. He has a fourth in the country in assists per game and assist rate last year. He's six, five point guard from Australia or from Tasmania. He, he does a lot really well with the ball. Um, and they really upgraded. Joe Quintana comes over um, as a lights-out shooter. Blondo DeChangu comes over from New Hampshire, another really good shooter to pair with him. They're going to be extremely fun um, offensively this year with him dishing to more shooters. Um, so those are the couple of guys that I look at from that side of things. If I'm missing anybody, I will think. I love yeah, I love the Mark Sears coming over to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a mm-hmm. fun one. I love Mark Sears at, at Ohio. Uh, he's going to take a really good look. Jake Stevens uh, moving over to Chattanooga had a really success. He's a really, really, really skilled big man. Was awesome at VMI last year. Shot fifty percent from three on one hundred and forty-two attempts at six eleven. Uh, he's enjoyable to watch. Those are just some guys that I'm That's kind of really looking forward to. It's a nice list. It's my it's our favorite pastime. One is to uh, well, I I love getting oh, texts. Zeke Mayo at South Dakota State. Lose mm-hmm. and Zeke Mayo is gonna be the next guy there. That's a fun one. I love getting texts from Lucas throughout the season. It's like I just love this guy. <laughs> I'm so excited about this guy. It, it happens. It happens a, a dozen times every college basketball season. And then not to to mention just the. The we'll get in, in without any context a, a a screenshot of someone's Wikipedia uh, honors and awards, and the game is to figure out who who, who we're who we're talking about there. Um, let's talk coaches a little bit. Um, what are who are some of the coaches that are on the who you think are on the hot seat? Whether they're you know widely thought of as on the hot seat guys who really need good seasons or guys who you think are sneaky under a little bit more pressure than we might realize. Uh, yeah, I think maybe sneakily, uh, maybe like Mike Anderson, if he turns in another year, that's just kind of just misses the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, could I doubt it. I think they really like him there and I think he's getting good recruiting momentum. It's kind of one of the first things that comes to mind, but I don't think he's really there. Oh, Patrick Ewing. Uh, mm-hmm is probably right at the top of that list um, at, at, at Georgetown. I, I, I honestly, it's, it's hard for me to get that into my head because we've just passed the coaching carousel. Um, right. where a lot of guys went where it's difficult to really project who's probably the next on that list. Um, 
I haven't really given it much thought at this point leading into next year. Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot could change between now and then. It you gotta feel like if Patrick Ewing's ever gonna get fired, it's gonna be soon, right? I would think so. It's also, I, really, I really have not thought about it much. I'm not gonna lie. I'm just more about the coaching changes than what's coming up next in coaching changes. It's, Okay, so what, what coaching changes? Let's do that one. What coaching changes are you most intrigued by slash excited about? I love that model as a butler hire. I think it's a really good hire. I think they needed to get that kind of hire um, this offseason. Um, they needed someone new that, that, that also is really that new. You know what I mean? Like they needed a guy that was, that was butler familiar, but, they, but the butler fan base didn't necessarily want them to stay uh, in-house. Like if butler was really going to be thrilled with like a guy who's uh, – like, a, like a, a, another member of the coaching tree, but isn't necessarily um, like a superstar uh, at, at current point. They probably needed someone a little bit more proven than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Thad Mata really fits that really well. Uh, I think Sean Miller is going to be really fun to watch. I think Xavier has underachieved for the past few years. And while Sean Miller is probably better known for his recruiting than his in-game coaching, um, he should help them improve um, in that area. I think Todd Golden is a phenomenal player. He's already looking great. Um, at Florida, he's a really good, he's recruiting well. And I think that that was part of the issue um, that some had with that hire is why not he'd be able to recruit against what is really a powerful recruiting SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, he's already doing that at a high level. His in-game coaching is, is well-respected. Um, Kyle Neptune is fascinating just because of taking over for a legend. Good luck. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he's a good coach. Villanova's got a lot of talent. They're probably going to be the top two in the Big East again this year. Um, and he did a really nice job making sure that he kept that recruiting class in tow. Because um, mm-hmm. I think, obviously, Cam Whitmore and Mark Armstrong are coming off US, Team USA where they played really well. and They're probably both going to start or at least play big minutes and might not be there very long. Um, Brendan Hausen's probably – he's a guy I think is probably a two-time All-Big East player when he's an upperclassman. He just kind of fits that mold. He's one of the best – he's one of the best shooting profiles – of a recruit that I've seen in recent memory as a top 100 guy. I think he's going to be awesome there. Um, Steve Prohm going back to, back to Murray state is, is pretty interesting. There, there's a lot there that I think has been good hires this offseason. I think that the, a lot of the big conference, it kind of felt that way with the sec a couple of years ago, one of that, that when they just added like a bunch of good coaching talents at the conference. And I think it was one of those kind of nationwide this year. A lot of teams that needed to have openings filled did a really good job. Like Xavier was a really good program needs to fill a spot. Oh, there's a good program needs to fill a spot. Maryland bring in Kevin Willard is I think one of the more underrated additions. I think Kevin Willard was good at Seton Hall. I know that a lot of people kind of got tired of maybe not necessarily winning in the NCAA tournament as much as he could have with some teams, um, but he's been successful. And I think Maryland's a good job for him too. Speaking of guys who are being asked to replace a legend, um, how do you think we'll talk about John Shire after this year? What do you think? Do you think? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Um, because I think I don't think his stigma, not stigma, I don't think his reputation as maybe the best recruiter in college basketball is going to change. Mm. Like I, I think that he's going to be a dynamite recruiter. I think Duke is more than Coach K. Coach K built Duke into a brand. Like that's truly a brand. Like the brand is because of Coach K, but people know Duke now. It's mm-hmm. not just a Coach K's gone. It's well now it's back to what it was before. No, Duke is still 
that that's wild. And I think they're going to keep acquiring talent. And John Shire's obviously been there um, long enough, has recruited this class really well. Um, I think they're going to remain successful as long as they continue to recruit at such a high level, which I expect them to be able to. It's it's very helpful that the the guy walking into your living room and doing all the legwork has been it hasn't been Coach K for for a while, right? It's I mean that's what John was there to do, and it was K kind of right. Of course, he's part of that conversation, but the guy who's spending the most time with you has been has been Shire in that in that um, in that program for a while. Do you think, and, and you know, there, there's talk, you know, that Coach K's, you know, four plus decades at Duke almost didn't happen because there were people who wanted him gone, you know, several years into his, you know, just a couple of years into his tenure there because he wasn't winning. Um, does, or have we just, has, has the ship sailed on that kind of thing just ever being a thing? Um, does, in Shire's recruiting at such a high level that it doesn't really like it's going to be hard for him to not win a lot of games at the level that he recruits uh, and the, the level that just Duke attracts top, top end talent. Like it does. Um, do you think he, is there a world in which we look up in three years and maybe Duke is not winning at the level that the recruiting class suggests. And do you think Shire comes under scrutiny for that quickly or that he has some sort of, that he has a, a leash that might be longer than, than, a, than a different guy. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I don't think they're going to struggle for one. Yeah. Think, yeah. For what it's worth. Me neither. I think they're going to be just fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's always those types of programs. The blue blood programs are always the ones that have the most scrutiny from their fan base. They expect winning uh, at an incredibly high level and like they're used to it. I mean, Kansas hasn't had like a sub four season as a tournament, in like 15 years. Outside of one season, that's just what, and like that would be the greatest season in program history for a lot of teams, uh, including a lot of high major teams. I mean, so I think the expectation bar is so high uh, at Duke that it's possible that there's scrutiny, but I don't know at what level that really reaches uh, major importance. I don't think it will in the next three years, though. Because it is interesting, because you even heard some of that with Hubert Davis the first half of last season. Not that, not that, sky high. Right. Not that it was ever going to actually result in him losing his job or that being a serious contemplation, but you, you heard that from the North Carolina fan base. Of, yeah. It wasn't working immediately, and all of a sudden people started getting restless. Yeah, and then they made the final four. Right, and then now he can go sign a 20-year contract, and he can yeah. happily ride that entire thing out without ever having to worry about his job. Yeah. <laughs> Last thing, uh, as we kind of wrap up the conversation here. Um, stories, players, coaches, teams, really anything that you're looking at that you're kind of perplexed as to why they're not a bigger conversation, a bigger talking point in terms of how the, the, the next season is going to, is going to shake out. Uh, maybe VCU. I like quite a bit in the A-10. I feel like they're not like, I think the A-10 is getting, uh, it kind of feels like this every few years. There's like an A10 team or two that kind of just kind of gets that preseason top 25 hype. Uh, Dayton's obviously there this year. St. Louis is probably kind of in that mix too. But I think VCU is good. Uh, bringing back Ace Baldwin gives them one of the best two-way players in the country. I think Jaden Dunn's ready for a for a next step too. Maybe Zeb Jackson or Brandon Johns coming over from Michigan. 
Um, maybe they're better fits in this league. Um, I think they're intriguing um, as a team that could get a little bit more credit um, than they are. I think some of those teams just kind of in the Big Ten that have just been consistently good that obviously have a roster flaw. Like Purdue obviously has, like, has that who is going to play point guard, probably Braden Smith, but are they really a proven commodity there? And the same with Michigan State, Jackson Kohler probably stepping in. Um, in the center spot, probably very interesting teams that have just been successful and really counting them out probably is a mistake, um, which has been the case. Notre Dame is going to be a blast. I think they're going to be really fun. Maybe one of the most efficient offensive teams in the country. Uh, JJ Starling, top as a five-star recruit coming in to join them uh, in that area. They're really interesting. North Texas is kind of a dark horse because I just really like uh, Tyler Perry. One of the dark, like one of the best six men in the country last year, kind of hit every clutch shot for them until um, they fell in the, in, in the tournament. Um, those are a couple of teams that I think are, are, are interesting uh, as kind of longer teams to, to kind of keep an eye on um, that haven't really gotten a lot of preseason hype. So, there's a lot. It's the, it's the offseason, so everyone kind of every every fan base in the country wants to hear themselves be hyped up, and a lot of them have been. Because it's just the, the nature of the way things are. Optimism reigns supreme between six, the six months between the last season and the next season. You can always find things to be excited about if you want to. It's true. It's true. Well, Lucas, thank you very much for taking the time to enlighten us, chat with us as you're grinding through all of these previews and adding all of this knowledge to your already encyclopedic college basketball mind we really appreciate you taking the time thanks for having me on i mean i was wildly unprepared but thank you for having me on we we the the uh the motivation is always just to have a college basketball chat <laughs> rather than yeah. rather than having um rather I, than I, having, I didn't have any notes open today which i usually would have hey I mean, you would you would have never known the difference. You would have never known the difference. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's Lucas Hargens at Hardwired Sports on Twitter. He checked college basketball. Um, if you're not following them and you enjoy reading and listening uh, about commentary when it comes to the sport, um, and you're not listening, you're not listening to them. Uh, you're making a mistake. But uh, at Hardwired Sports on Twitter. That's all we've got for you today. Uh, please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod, and we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later. <laughs>